that they had become concerned that uh, Paul McCartney, who was arguably the most popular Beatle, he and John Lennon, um, if he were not in the picture anymore, that they just weren't quite sure where this was going to go. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grime America show. Uh, we are going to be talking about the memoirs of Billy Shear with Mike Williams a little bit later. But first, as always, Graham, the fecal transplanter, how's it going, buddy? Sticking with that one, eh? I figured it might catch off guard. You're the one that's obsessed with it. I really don't know why you're talking to me about this stuff. I'm, I'm predicting, you seem to be very obsessed. I'm, predicting I'm not doing that. I'm no. predicting the future. No, you're not. We also had our buddy Mark Allard with us on this, in this interview. That's right. About Friend Paul McCartney and Billy Shears and... Yeah. Whether or not Paul's a real Paul. Yeah. I remember hearing about that shit way back in the day. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. I like the bigger the bigger rock and roll conspiracy about it and you know what I mean? People sort of pulling the strings. That's right. Yep. The fecal found. (laughs) Never? No, man. Why would I need to do that? I don't know. What's it for again? You brought it up. No, it was with our with a guest in the show. We were talking about it, and they, you know, just because I knew about it, you're shocked. <laughs> Have you heard Chris Ryan talk about it at all? And I mean, it's it's about the good bacteria in your gut, right? Like replacing all yours with somebody else's good bacteria, right? I've never. You've never heard of a fecal transplant? No. No. It's the most r- ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Well, no, there's I mean, the whole industry around it, and science and everything. Some people get help, people heal through that. Huh. Yeah. They just have some kingpin. No, what do you mean? Well, the shit guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's his job. <laughs> we give said people money for their shit. I don't know how, like, the... You know, the or logistics like around. Pods, they mix it all together in a big old pot and add some I don't shit. know. No, just why are you so obsessed <laughs> with it? <laughs> well, because it goes right in line with the coffee enemas. So no, it figured, doesn't. It's I totally it different. No, no, it doesn't. The coffee no. enema just cleans you out. Once you put coffee in your ass, all bets are off. <laughs> Anywho. Totally different. Totally different? Yeah. One's just coming out and one's going, going in. in and out. <laughs> Last <laughs> well, go in before it comes out. Anyway, what do you got? Anything cool? Yeah, man. I want to talk about uh, 
I don't really want to talk about politics, but I want to talk about the supernatural shit show that's going on. The SSS? The SNS. Have you heard about the... Uh, we should stop talking about that. It's costing us money. We've had like seven subscriptions stopped in the last month. About what? Politics. No, really? Yeah. Purposely seven. seven. We don't have... That's more than 10%. Really? That's probably around 10%. Y you told me that they weren't... Um, well, I don't know. Intentional stoppages, though. I don't know. Why? Well, there's there's a few that I think weren't intentional, that I really don't think are intentional. But there's a few that they quite were. possibly yeah. could be. Or maybe you guys got new credit cards, or I don't know. Or maybe it is a politics. We'll just, we'll just shut up. Anyways, um, if people find out that their PayPal is not working anymore, please re resubscribe or do whatever you got to do through PayPal to keep supporting the show. Because we're trying to resist the paywall. Well, we're not going to go to paywall. We don't want to go to paywall. But people do suggest that to us as far as being able to support the show a little better. But we're fully listener-supported. No ads, no paywalls. Yeah, that's right. That helps a lot. Exactly. And we don't, uh, we've promised never to do it. So don't make us regret that too, too, too much. Yeah. Um, yeah, it seems like all the other numbers are going up except for support. Support's going down and everything else is going up. So if you've been if you've been meaning to support the show, now would be uh, as good a time as ever to head over to grimeamerica.ca slash support and uh, take a look if there's any of the monthly options there that work out for you or um, do a one-time donation. We do still have uh, a bunch of t-shirts, I think, or at least 10 or so. Yeah, I've got probably about 10 of them. Yeah, the original, uh, most of them are the original style. So we can still ship those out with donations, uh, 25 bucks or more. Or I can just send them out locally as well. <clears throat> or yeah, if you're local, let us know. Yeah. Um, if you're local, we could probably do them for 20 bucks. Yeah. And other than that, there's the red bubble, like grandamerica.ca slash swag is how to get them through our online distribution. Online store. Yeah. You can get stickers there, phone case, whatever you want with some Grammarica. We get a tiny, tiny branding. little cut of that. Yeah. We get a bit of that action and, uh. Yeah, check it out. We could uh, we could definitely use a boost in that department if possible. And of course, if you can't uh, if you can't afford to support the value for value model monetarily, uh, there's a ton of different ways you can do it without spending any money. You can review the show, uh, spread the word via Facebook, Twitter, Reddit. I don't know what other channels there are. Maybe you guys have some, but any place you can share the show. Uh, we appreciate it if you do. That's the only real marketing that we've got. And as far as our political leanings go, I don't know. They're neither left nor right. Like, I don't think uh, maybe people have been, you know. Maybe people think we're right. Think we're but right we're or something. But, I mean, we're correct, but we're not right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, no, and we're just going to distance the show from that anyway. I think we're, we're, we're going to maybe look at other avenues. And for now, I mean, I was just on FTK again on this week's episode over at friends-2-no.com with Adam talking more of uh, that sort of stuff. And I think we'll just, uh, you know, we'll find someplace else to have those conversations and we won't do it here because it's way too polarizing and uh, there's been way too much. It's fucking fascinating though. It's it so is. fascinating right now what's happening, what's going on. I mean, it's so incredible. Yeah. So if we offended you, we're sorry. And uh, yeah, check out uh, Friends to Know for now for, for anything political. Actually, we were both on Friends to Know this time. I was on for a little bit. I had to leave. You were on for right? half. I got really. Did you get going after? <laughs> I you got left? pretty. I got going after you left. Adam got me going. 
But I did, I did want to talk about this and it is related to that. <clears throat> and, uh, from a listener, he sent us, uh, his name is Eddie. He sent, I was unaware that this is even happening, but it really freaked me out when I read about it. So it could be a good topic on your show. And uh, it is about uh, the meme of Pepe the Frog. Have you heard about that, Darren? I see, I think I got that email too, but I saved it for you. Oh, thanks. And the thing it, it's interesting is I responded to him talking about how if I feel like it might be the the yang to the yin of uh, of all this other stuff that could, like there could possibly be. Have you heard of Pizzagate at all, Darren? I've heard that there's a huge subreddit now dedicated to. Yes, sir. We should get into that one day too. So I mean, not this, you know, not it being about political, but I mean, this whole spirit cooking and PizzaGate thing. If there is a chance that that is really going on, and the PizzaGate thing looks pretty interesting. I mean, I know a lot of people don't want to touch it, and of course, you're not going to hear about this on the media at all. But let's just say that you know, and we've heard about the upper elite and the global political establishment getting into we knew all this, this kind was of stuff, going on right? In the UK posse Ex- Exactly. So what if it is going on? What if there's a balance to that supernaturally wise? Then it's Pepe. Pepe the frog? Yeah. That's I don't my, know fucking my, anything about Pepe. This is my feeling. Okay, well, I'm going to try and summarize it for you because it really is interesting. And, and it's about the real story behind Hillary Clinton's cartoon Nazi frog. This will blow your mind. So this is a, a link. Of the dry American goodies. By the people. The people. <laughs> so this is actually uh, PepeTheFrog.wordpress, and I'll link to it in the show notes. And then he's also... P-E-P-E? Is there an accent goo on the E? yeah. He also sent me an email no, afterwards. He said, uh, it's funny, I definitely feel like some sort of tipping the scales of balance within the universe has occurred. The fact that it may just be the yang to their yin is compelling. I found this on Reddit, goes into more detail. Thanks for the reply. How do I donate to the show? So I'll, uh, I'll talk a little bit about the Reddit one afterwards, but oh, this yeah. is the actual, just the summary of Pepe. And he says, I'll cut right to the chase. Pepe the frog isn't a white nat- nationalist symbol. Pepe the frog isn't a harmless meme propagated by teenagers on the internet. Pepe the frog is in fact the modern day avatar of an ancient Egyptian deity accidentally resurrected by online image board culture. Does that sound like the most batshit crazy thing you've ever heard? Strap in friendo. You're in for one hell of a ride. So it says, uh, when memes collide, the origins, the origins of Pepe the Frog, the precise origins of Pepe the Frog are like all image boards, memes, obscure and unimportant. All you really know, need to know is sometime around 2010, a sad looking cartoon frog began to trend among posters on 4chan and similar underground image boards. So they say it's a place In its place, a new slang term of synonymous meaning rose to common use. Keck. That's K-E-K. The origins of this trend are much more important. It comes from an odd technicality involving the Korean language and the popular video game World of Warcraft. Keep that in mind for later. So anyways... uh, Donald Trump in the 2016 election. By this time, Pepe the Frog had become the unofficial mascot for 4chan's political discussion board. It's a place where unspoken outsiders of millennial culture gather en masse. Here you'll find the lonely and depressed, the socially inept, the generational dropouts, and all shades of disenfranchised youth. Every one of them 
united with an unshakable underdog mentality that pervades the forums every kilobyte. To call this place a white nationalist or an alt-right message board is categorically incorrect. Above all else, it's a place where our society status quo is mercilessly challenged. It's a melting pot for well-meaning freethinkers and misguided madmen alike. It is a place of chaos. So when Donald J. Trump strolled on to the political scene in 2015, it was a match made in heaven. He immediately became their candidate of choice. And it wasn't long before Trump was mated with Pole's beloved mascot in typical image board fashion. So what is that? There's a, a meme here of Pepe and sitting beside Donald Trump with a thumbs up. So then they get into, uh, I'm just going to try and summarize this. So it's a, Pepe would be the AI frog created by, that has somehow come to life and obtained some sort of consciousness through the internet of things? Kind of like a, kind of like that, um, what's that thing? Like Tolpa, in a way. But he's an ancient Egyptian. God, yeah. Which, which I'll get into in a little bit more detail, because that'll blow you away. This comes with a, a multitude of synchronicities that, are, that I'm about to get into. So, I guess, should I keep reading? I'm going to try and keep reading it instead of summarizing it. So, the, the digits declare a deity. Is that what I'm saying it right? Deity? Deity? Oh, it doesn't sound right. Deity? Deity. Deity. One last thing you need to understand about image board culture. Dubs. Every post on 4chan and similar venues comes with an eight-digit numerical stamp. This number represents the post's entry position in the entire posting lineage of ImageBoard. With the amount of traffic these sites get, the last couple digits of this number are essentially a random roll. When a poster gets repeated digits, it's called dubs, trips, or quads, and so on. Since a poster can't know their posts until after they've submitted the post, it's common for people to bet the contents of their message on the occurrence of repeating digits. Like so, and they go on to showing uh, digits coming back, like nine nine seven two two, all this, all this type of stuff. So when that endeavor endeavor proves successful, a get has been made, and the stroke of luck is celebrated. Out of this practice, a strange phenomenon began to take place. Discussion threads associated with Trump displayed noticeably frequent gets, and he's there's a bunch of examples in here. It wasn't long before all these seemingly random elements discussed so far became irreparably tied together with the image board culture. Pepe the Frog, Donald Trump, repeating digits, Keck. And the Keck was used as an expression of delight, particularly in response to Trump's trolling of the establishment, as well as in reaction to unlikely gets in general. And a god was born. Here's where it starts to get weird. The queer coincidence of Keck. Soon it became all the rage on poll, that's the, the image of the board, to hail Trump as nothing less than God's chosen candidate. But which God, which God's chosen candidate exactly? The obvious answer is Keck. Remember how we learned that Keck, the meme, came about from an obscure Korean language onomatopoeia, completely independent from the Pepe the Frog? Well, it turns out Keck is also and always has been an Egyptian, an ancient Egyptian deity, deity a frog-headed one. Quite the coincidence, wouldn't you say? A little, perhaps you reply. A little indeed, but that's just the very tip of the synchronicity iceberg. That's just where the unfathomable string of coincidences begin. And where it ends, we just don't know. Day by day, this is all getting stranger. 
The second major little coincidence can be found when one looks into what Keck stood for among the ancient Egyptian pantheon. Kuk, also spelt as Kek or Keku, is the, defi- the defecation of the primordial concept of darkness in ancient Egyptian religion. Like all four dualistic concepts of the Ogdod, Cook's male form was depicted as a frog or as a frog-headed man, and the female form as a snake or a snake-headed woman. As a symbol of darkness, Cuck also represented obscurity and the unknown, and thus chaos. Also, Cuck was seen as that which occurred before light, thus was known as the bringer in of light. And who else, at this point, has been declared a bringer of light into the world by enthusiastic supporters? Mainstream and image board alike. It gets even weirder. Keck's hieroglyphic spelling in ancient Egyptian, it bears an undeniable resemblance to a certain something. A person using a computer. <laughs> With, like, in front of internet meme magic. Like, it is pretty crazy. The Pepe? Yeah, I should actually cast it on the computer so you can see it. I've seen Pepe. No, 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 you, I'm talking about Keck. Oh. Right there. So it's got the like uh, an Egyptian person sitting in front of this like computer-looking screen. Almost looks like an iMac on a rock, and then there's like a DNA sort of code afterwards. It's like for internet meme magic. So and so, the cult of Keck meme magic took concrete form. This new digital faith is summed up neatly in this message. This image passed around on the major message, ma- major image boards of the day. <laughs> So there's a picture of Kak and then the Egyptian frog-headed god, Trump, Pepe. and all this. Yeah. So then it gets weirder. Pepe, Kak emerges in plain sight on September 11th, 2016. Now, the polls, users were quite seriously directly attributing all strokes of luck for their Trump campaign, and likewise all strokes of misfortune for the Hillary campaign to their benevolent frog-headed deity that spoke to them in dubs. That all came to a head on September 11th when three major mind-blowing events transpired within 48 hours. Hillary Clinton fainted or nearly fainted in New York. The overwhelming sentiment still reeling from the event is captured two days later in this post, and then it talks about this post... Now, I don't really understand that, but the thing did come through as a 33. And Hillary's getting sick in the media is talking about Pepe. It's clear today, clear as day that your memes are fucking with your fabric of reality. Anyways, number two, she literally declares, this is Hillary Clinton, literally declares Pepe the Frog an enemy of the state with paper-thin reasoning. Here's the short version. Pepe is a cartoon frog who began his internet life as an innocent meme enjoyed by teenagers and pop stars alike. But in recent months, Pepe has been almost entirely co-opted by the white supremacists who call themselves the alt-right. They decided to take back Pepe by adding swastikas and other symbols of anti-Semitism and white supremacy. What can I or anyone else hope to add here? How bizarre does a reality get? How deep does the rabbit hole go? Oh, I see how deep. Really fucking weird. Keck Pepe's musical anthem is discovered on YouTube. Now get a load of this one. While all this was happening, one or a few anonymous 4chan contributors discovered an old track from the 80s on YouTube, a track stamped all over with a familiar face. Magic Sound, Side B, Chedelet, and it's an instrumental version, and this is a picture of a, like a, a record, and it says Pepe on it. Point Emerging 
probably probably entering. That's Pro- right. Produced by Ass Art Pepe. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, folks. A B-side vinyl by performer Pepe sporting a frog with a magic wand. A frog. And what's Pepe stand for? Point emerging, probably entering. So, let's see here. Do I want to keep reading? Should I keep reading it? Might as well, eh? Almost done. So, it says, So, probably, what are the sweet repeating digit gets all about? Probability. What is this gist of Kekism on pole? He speaks to them through dubs. Their ancient Egyptian god of obscurity and chaos emerges, enters at points of probability. If you like that's a stretch, check out what the full-length vocal version's album artwork is adorned with. And it's got uh, a clock on here. Don't see the significance. Let 4chan help you. Again, the post number, there's a get, and hey, that fair-haired man pointing toward Trump's tower clock in the artwork. So anyways, okay, what the hell is going on? Most likely chaos magic. You see, one of the core tenets of chaos magic practice is the creation of magic sigils to codify one's project, one's will into the universe. Basically, you make an image that represents your will, and the universe will take care of the rest. When a lot of people pool their united willpower towards a sig- single sigil, it's called a hyper sigil, and it's exponentially more potent. Now, that's what I, I feel like, uh, what was the thing I was talking about before? The tolpa is. That's right. It's almost like a hyper sigil. So hold up. You're seriously telling me that me magic is real? Absolutely. But you must understand magic probably isn't what you think it is. It's not about wand waving or pentagrams or sacrificial babies. Magic is actually much less involved in that. As a matter of fact, you're casting magic right now. You pretty much always are, whether you like like it or not. That's because the real magic comes from plain and simple human attention. How you look at reality shapes it in ways that you're not only beginning to now you're now only beginning to fully understand ironically the science of quantum physics is rapidly bringing the reality of magic to light shade lay so in any says in my book you're imagining things i'll tell you how it works and now he's selling his book here and why it works in plain spoken english anyways um you should just have him on the show fuck that's a good idea yeah yeah that's that's full of good ideas you want to make a note of that somewhere no, <laughs> that's, uh, that's wild. So does that mean, cause I, I've heard, of, I heard early on some people theorizing that Trump was a chaos magician. Really? Yeah. Like Scott Adams type people or more? No, than... <laughs> I don't think Scott Adams would go that far. I don't think he delves into fucking. No, I don't think magic. so either. That was a nice little summary you did there. Thanks, buddy. So there's also um, there's also a a Reddit thread on this. Trump campaign seems to be the most. So, anyways, I don't want to read. I don't want to read this one because it's a little bit harder to summarize. I don't want to get too much into it. But it's about memes. Memes being magic, and it talks about Keck in this uh, in this Reddit. The phenomenon. Do, 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 do you want me to? What do you? What do you? Oh. Yeah, no, it's okay. Okay, I'm gonna leave it at that. It's a good place to leave it, I think. Always leave them wanting more, Graham. Always leave them wanting more. Actually, I'll just read this one paragraph here. Uh-oh. 
I'm sure you're all aware of Pepe the Frog. Well, about six months ago, there was a push to begin referring to him as Keck. Keck morphed into a god, and before long, he had people memeing praise Keck with a frogman dressed in ancient Egyptian regalia. This is easily laughed off as a random internet memery until it was realized that our Keck had a startlingly similar description in the ancient Egyptian god of chaos, Hekek, who was also a frog-headed god. Moreover, in the ancient Egyptian creation myth, it was Hekek, the god of chaos, who breathed life into the king, Osiris, and brought light out of the darkness. The fact that our Keck was almost exclusively used to bring life into the Donald Trump campaign. It's <laughs> crazy. Anyways, there you have it. Nice one. So what would you give that for a synchronicity rating? Uh, I don't know. I feel like it would have to be like seven point and then like eight. Eight, 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 eight digits. Or 8.88. 7.64731728. <laughs> it needs to have like, it needs to have a quad at the end. Three, three, three. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right on. You want another one from Saint, a listener? Synchro? Yeah, kind of. And I'm, I'm involved in a little bit. You're always involved. I'm a rambling grand with synchronicity. Whatever fuckery's afoot. All over the web. It's probably dark up by now. And Darren is skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet. Uh oh. You lost it? Yeah. Nice work. Yeah. Classic gram. No, need... I found it. I oh, found it. Boy. I don't know about you, but I mean, I've been getting synchronicities from friends as well. Mike and my sister, I've been bugging them to write them down because it's hard for me to just go off of like memories of them telling me what it is, but there's Nobody some crazy ever ones. any synchros. Really? So I don't know. They feel like they're happening all the time. So I get one from, uh, from Ryan. He says, uh, Hey guys, I love your show. I listen often. This is about the Palato episode. But I feel like the Palato episode was mainly a huge plug about media monarchy. You guys are clearly trying to get some substance out of the guy, but he just kept wanting to talk about himself and how he fell into the media game. Anyways, I appreciate what you guys do. Small synchro. So my buddy and I had a huge falling out last year. A few days ago, we reconnected. A day or so after that, I was watching a show on next Netflix where the main character's father passed away. It was the type of moment where I felt I needed to call my dad just to talk. Later that day, I texted my buddy, the guy that I'd recently reconnected with, to see if he wanted to hang out. Literally three seconds after I messaged him, one of our mutual friends messaged me, telling me that my recently reconnected buddy's father had died unexpectedly the same day that I had watched the TV episode where the main, da main guy's dad died. Would you consider this a synchro? And I responded saying, thank you very much. And I said, would it happen to be... The show that I was watching last night, where the main character's dad died. I was like, that could be a pretty crazy synchro. Because I stayed up late watching this show. What show? Black Mirror. Never heard of it. Was it the same show? No, it wasn't. So you should have just left that part. So I said, even if I... I even if not, synchro. <laughs> I said, even if not, I would still consider it a synchro. Darren may not. So um, anyways, I agreed with him about, about the Palato thing. Like, and I was glad that he actually noticed that. He says, uh, 
Hey again, Graham, thanks for the quick reply. I've been listening to you guys for about six months, and it's honestly some of the most interesting and thought-provoking stuff I've heard. I was worried that my email would be considered offensive, and in all honesty, his portion was not only was the only part of your show that I've ever thought to myself, when is this guy going to actually answer a question with some information? Anyways, keep up the awesome work. And the show I was referring to was not Black Mirror, but I won't reveal it because the guy, the guy's dad dying is a pretty important part of, part of the plot line, in case you ever do watch it. But I am interested in watching Black Mirror. I wouldn't. Now, hang on a sec. I'm missing the last part of it. <laughs> he says... I'm sure this is far from a synchro, but please refer to our previous conversation regarding you asking if I was watching Black Mirror. And I said that I'd like to start watching that show. At the same time, I had the slight, I hadn't the slightest clue where to find the show. Look at what pops up on my Netflix recommendations. As I'm in the middle of the show that I originally referred to, i.e. the first email, call it what you will, I call it weird. So then he shows me uh, what the Netflix recommendation came through as, as Black I was Mirror. watching that Black Mirror. <laughs> Uh, there you go. Uh, That's all right. It's okay. So clearly, the shows, these shows, at least have. Does net? Do you think? What are the chances? You think Netflix organizes show by dads dying? No, nothing. No, Zero? it doesn't. No, no. Like no, it doesn't go by that kind of <laughs> detailed plot. <laughs> Okay, I'll give it a 7.77. Oh, that's not bad. I'm sure he'll be happy about that. It was kind of a compounder. Yeah, I like the... Yeah, there are more and more compound synchronicities coming. Should have a flood. Do you want another one? Another. I got a whole whack of small ones here. From we listeners. got time for a few more. Yeah. You want a lucid dreamy type one or a synchro? We'll keep, I'll go with one more synchro and then we'll do the lucid dreamy one. Deal. That was your, uh, that was the cue. Okay, this is from John Michael. He says, hello, last Tuesday was my birthday and the family dinner, etc. And it was wonderful. For my weekend, I decided to watch a few old VHS tapes. Friday night, there was something about Mary. Saturday night was Last of the Mohicans. This morning, I decided to get out my copy of the novel Last of the Mohicans. I'd never finished reading it, and after buying it 20 years ago, I was planning to reread it this week, or to read it this week. So tucked between pages 204 and 205 was a letter from June 1996 from my elementary junior high school crush. We were both 15 years old that summer. She was sharing a poem she had written. This seems like a coincidence of a storyline from Mary, brought together by me watching Mohicans and then wanting to read the book, which, of course, had the letter and I hadn't seen in 20 years. I don't use social media to keep up, but now I'm wondering if I should look her up. What are your all thoughts? I'm not even sure if this, or don't necessarily care if this is a synchro, so Darren, chill out with the rating. <laughs> Either way, I'm curious to hear what you all have to say. I included a picture of the different pieces of the puzzle. It's not verification of things happening the way I said they did, but if they didn't, they'd be pretty desperate on my part to make any piece of that up. So please trust that this is how things unfolded. I love the show and oddly enough, have felt like synchros, synchro bits are the weakest. I guess that's until you experience it to some degree, right? Thanks. 
And he's got a, a list of the uh, the letters, or a picture of the letters in the book here. Something about Mary and the last of the Mohicans. Something about Mary. Um, Did you write love letters in your school? Uh, no, I wasn't a big love letter guy. We, had, we passed notes around all the time. In I, remember, I remember doing a couple. There was a special way to fold them up. Was, really? Yeah. That was when I was young, young, though. Like how young? Like 12? Maybe like 14 or 15, yeah, in there. Well, that's how old he was. Yeah, that's But imagine right. before texting, we had to actually write each other letters. Oh, We'd yeah. pass around in class and stuff, and you'd open them up and... Give me some crabs in there. What? <laughs> <laughs> Bewilderment. <laughs> I have a lucid dream. I'm not going to rate that one. I think you should look her up. Is he married? Maybe that was just a sign. I don't know. If you're married, don't look her up. Yeah. But I mean, hey, maybe that was a sign to look her up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is pretty weird. Something about Mary having that plot and then him watching Last Smoking and then reading the book and then finding the letters. That's right. Was that Gibson? Gibber? Last of the Mohicans? Was that Mel Gibson? I don't know. So this is, yeah, you want to do a lucid dream thing? Is it real or a dream? What does that even mean? So, this is from Brad. He says, so recently I've been listening to you talk about lucid dreaming and Darren giving you shit about it. I've been thinking about writing you a message just to give you some of my experiences with this as well as some advice on astral projection, which is like the awake version of it. I've yet to do that, but I will definitely do that when I get more time in the near future. However, I needed to tell you guys right away about my recent synchros. So yesterday I was listening to your recent episode on float tanks. I've recently used one here in my hometown now that we finally got a couple float centers. And back in September, my girlfriend gave me a Groupon for a two-hour session. Well, I just happened to remember that I'd still had that when you're when i saw your episode yesterday as i was listening my girlfriend texts me to tell me that she's got an email saying that my float tank group on would expire soon that was the first time we had talked about it since september kind of crazy but it doesn't end there so throughout the episode i keep thinking to myself what exactly am i going to write to you regarding the lucid dreaming experiences i get home and have a fairly normal night except i get super tired all of a sudden like around 7 p.m which is rare for me since i usually stay up to midnight or so it could have something to do with the time change but still pretty damn early regardless anyways by 8 30 i'm out cold i have this crazy dream about a few of my friends and i looking for a warehouse to begin some type of business venture in grow up <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so we're all <laughs> have you been looking for a warehouse lately <laughs> So we're all traveling from warehouse to warehouse and stopping to, at some friends' houses along the way. We finally get to this one old building, and by this point, there are about 20 of us. I happen to see a friend of mine who lives in Chicago, and we start skipping towards this room. Suddenly, I realize that this is a dream, and I say out loud, I am dreaming. At which point, one of the characters from the dream repeats, I am dreaming. We then start heading up these stairs, and my fucking alarm goes off ruining the whole thing however as i am turning off my alarm i hear a distinct female voice say to me she is with you 
like someone clearly whispering in my ear. It was the craziest thing. Anyways, that is my synchro. I will say you should definitely check out astral projection. Since you have floated now, you'll kind of get the idea of what it's like. You basically try to mimic the floating experience while laying in bed. During the daytime is best. You feel your body start to vibrate, which can be distracting, but you have to focus on just letting go. Soon after that, if you haven't lost focus, you will pop out of your body and begin to astral travel. Most likely, if you get to that point, it will freak (laughs) you out so much that you will lose your focus and pop back into your body. But it will be enough to keep you trying and trying. I made it to that point twice on my first try. Also, it helps if you're having a day where you have a clear mind. So perhaps do a float and then go home and try it. I don't know. I plan on trying that soon before my group one expires. Happy floating. Peace. Nice one. Mm-hmm. I'm not, uh, that wasn't a synchro, though. What does he want me to rate? No, there was a, yeah, there was a synchro in it with the whole, like, he was going to write to us about lucid dreaming, and then that night he has that fucking lucid dream. Oh. Yeah. And he just whole, triggered, and whole, triggered Like, himself. and the whole listening to our floating episode and the whole floating, it's kind of a compound thing as well. All right, I'll give it a six. A six. Ooh, jeez. Should have sent a couple of bucks. <laughs> Should have greased the wheels of synchronicity. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> the wheels of synchronicity. Need That's a hint for everybody if they want a high rating. <laughs> subscribe. <laughs> I think that should about do it for this week, eh? Oh, well, no. What else we got to talk about? There was uh, oh, the Pizzagate, the spirit cooking. I mentioned all that. The t-shirts, the donate, the friends to know. Trip reports, listener synchros. Yeah, I think we, we covered all it all. Yeah. 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 We got into the donation things. Because really. we do seriously need, we could use some more support. So um, if... Uh, if it's something you've been meaning to do or something you think you can pull off, uh, check out grammarica.ca slash support and, you know, five bucks a month. That's like... Uh, that's like a buck an episode, that, buck that, 25 an episode. Yeah, yeah that's like a buck, buck an episode. That would help us with our expenses. That would cover our expenses if, if a few people did that. That's right. Yeah. So check that out. See what you can do there. Um, other than that, send your stories, all that stuff to Graham. Help us... Uh, Oh, with some content. That's a great way to support the uh, value for value model as well. Uh, spam gram, send in, rate the show. Jingles. We haven't got any ratings in a long time either. Yeah, so rate the show. Rate the show. Um, I think that's it, eh? Oh, sign up for the newsletter. Remarket.ca slash news. Enjoy the chat. Yeah, that was a good one. It was fun. Yeah, this Mike, was a Mike fun Williams one. of Sage of Sage and Quay. Big He's thanks got his own to Mark for bailing us out. Yeah. Fill in the knowledge, yep. All right, guys, enjoy the chat. Okay, bye. So tonight we've got Mike Williams here. He's from, uh, he's the host of Sage of Quay Radio. 
And he's, uh, he talks about all kinds of stuff that we talk about on there as well. Alternative research, conspiracy, holistic healing. The esoteric is pretty interesting when I started looking him up, how, uh, how much we have in common as far as our shows go. Uh, but we got in touch with him from, uh, from the author of uh, the memoirs of Billy Shears, you uh, Harriet, and he, he, uh, he told us to get a hold of Mike and talk about this book. And, and with us tonight, we also have our friend Mark Allard from Calgary here. Who's uh, who's a big fan of this, and we thought we'd bring him in with this uh, with this interview for about forty five minutes here before he has to take off. So, uh, thanks for all your patience, guys, with the technical issues, and welcome to the show, Mike and Mark. Thank you, Graham. Thank you, Thank you very much. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I'll take credit for the technical difficulties, I guess. Yeah, good job there, Darren, fixing them. It's it's so funny having Causing you. Causing them, fixing them. You probably go through this mic all the time. Like, you know, you know, you try and do these tests and you realize something's wrong and you try and troubleshoot it. And it's like, you don't even know how things change week to week in the studio. I just had that recently with a show I did with Sophia Smallstorm. So I completely understand, guys. No worries. Yeah, I just saw that. I saw that show on your website. Actually, I was uh, I felt like asking you about that. It sounds like some really interesting stuff on biological darkness. Uh, it's always good when it comes from Sophia. She's uh, she's a great researcher. Right on. So, Mark, um, thanks for coming on and helping us out with this. It's uh, it's an interesting topic. Darren and I were talking about it a bit today. Uh, this whole Paul McCartney. Um, you know, fiasco and conspiracy going way back. And you've, you've read this book and you and I talked about the show all the time and you're like, you got to get this guy on. And, uh, so absolutely. I was, I was very excited when, uh, when I saw that, uh, that you were actually going to, to do a segment on the memoirs of Billy Shear. Um, I've read it, uh, at least three times and, uh, fascinating. It is absolutely one of my favorite books. And my first question to Mike is, have you met Thomas U. Harriet? I've never met Tom. Um, I've had a couple of okay. email exchanges. My first email exchange to Tom was to ask him to come on to my show to talk about the book. Ah. <laughs> and um, he initially, he had, he had agreed to come on the show. And then within maybe, I would say, a week, he said he couldn't do any shows. and um, But he had listen to my show that I did with Sophia and he had asked me if he gets any additional inquiries, would I mind talking about the book? And I said, no, I, I won't mind talking about it at all. And what I do, Graham, and, and more before I even get started with the show is just to let everybody know I have nothing to do with the book. I have nothing to do with Tom, you Harriet. I have nothing to do with Bill Shepard, who's the, the person that plays the character of Paul McCartney. So I just uh, like talking about it. It's just an interesting topic. Well, I, I, so this morning, Mike, I actually listened to your podcast with Sophia or on Sophia's cast and loved it. And before we get into that information, which I'm sure Graham and Darren will want to um, explore, um, I'm, I would be interested to know as a, as someone that, it, that is fully in love with this um, theory and this concept, and I have to admit from the start that I'm agnostic. I, I really don't know enough facts to, to make any sort of decision. But one of the things that you had mentioned in the podcast was that you became a believer as a result of this book. Um, can you go, maybe go into some detail about that? What, what was it that, that changed your mind? There was just too much detail, way too much detail. And the um, the ins and outs of the songs, um, 
what was done in the studio, um, what happened on specific dates, conversations with the other Beatles, Lennon, George Harrison, and so on. So, you know, as I went through the book, and I read both books, I read um, Billy's Back, which is the abridged version, and then Mm -hmm. That caught my interest, and I decided, let me go get the big book. So the big book is 66 chapters, 666 pages, you know this. So it's just loaded up with so much detail and information that, you know, if I put my logical hat on, you say to yourself, the only way this really could have been written is by somebody who was there. Um, And then Harriet has this book. He published it through CreateSpace on Amazon. So that's the mm-hmm. other thing that came into play. I thought to myself, well, why go that route? Uh, you know, if, because you're going to go through all this effort to write 666 pages. You're going to want to make sure you make some money at this, I would think. Sure. <laughs> and, you know, and going through CreateSpace, self-publishing, uh, you know, that's that's a gamble. You, you may make money, you may not make money, you know. So it, it is, it is a bunch of uh, variables that came into play, Mark. But I would say the biggest one was just the volume of, details in the book was just, it was overwhelming. I, I also started with Billy's back and that prompted me to, to buy the full abridged version as well. Um, immediately upon reading the full version, I tried to find Thomas Harriet. I tried to track him down. I tried to find some sort of verifiable proof that he actually existed and wasn't the creation of you know, a good fiction writer who maybe put together a bunch of facts. Um, I imagine that you did some due diligence yourself. So how did you come to the conclusion that this was indeed an actual person and not just whether it's a creation of, of Sir Paul McCartney trying to, uh, you know, deify his own legend or whether it's just a Beatles fan that compiled information through, you know, the, the millions of books and, and so how did you decide that this was a legitimate person telling this well, story? Yeah, well, the first thing was the, the email exchanges with Tom. Um, I mean, they were very cordial. Um, and I had no sense whatsoever that I was you know, dealing with somebody other than the person who calls himself Tom Harry. He's also on Facebook. Um, so I found him on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't friend him <laughs> because I didn't want it to be perceived as a conflict of interest if I'm going to, you know, talk about the book. So I just let it sure. be. Maybe that's a pun. I don't know. But uh, in, in any case, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, just the conversations I had with Tom and, and he clued me in on a couple of other things uh, through email that um, one thing is not in the book. And the other thing um, made it into a recent revision, revised the book in October. October of 2016, um, last month. And uh, those two things were, um, he talked to me about in the email about Shepard was also Phil Ackrell of the Diplomats. Of course, that was the band that Denny Lane was in. That originally, it was in the book, but it was very coy the way it was uh, presented. And then I had emailed Tom and I said, look, you know, I'm reading the book uh, and this whole piece well, it wasn't a big piece. It was a little piece on Phil Ackrell. It, you know, you can go both ways. He was or he wasn't. What's the deal there? And he wrote back to me and said, Mike, you interpreted it the exact way it was to be interpreted. So it was a, a coyness that was going on. 
in the book, but then he said the clue is in the song Rock Show um, that McCartney or Bill Shepard did uh, from the um, uh, Wings Over America and uh, Venus and Mars. I think it was Venus and Mars it was on. Hmm. So uh, it's the lyric there that said, um, Philly, uh, Silly Willie from the Philly band could be ooey. So Silly Willie was uh, Bill Shepard, Willie Bill, from the Philly band, Phil, Phil Ackrell, and the band, of course, being the Diplomats, could be ooey. So he actually has now put that into the book to expand that whole section on on Phil Ackrell. Uh, the other thing that he told me that is not in the book is that um, along with the surgeries and the fillers that are discussed in the book um, to explain the transformation of going from Bill Shepard to Vivian Stanshall to Paul McCartney, that there was latex used also. Um, he didn't get into great detail with the latex, but I'm assuming it had to do more with uh, the character of Vivian Stanshall. Hmm. So I had those. My point I mean, is, I had I had those types of conversations, and you know, so I I don't have any reason to believe that he's other than who he says he is. Um, could he be somebody else? I, I guess, but I, I you know I just based upon my communications with him, I I, I think he's Tom U. Harriet. I'm only one okay. friend generation away from Tom U. Harriet. Really? I was just on his Facebook page, <laughs> and if I go to his friends. <laughs> He has friends. He has a friend that I have mutual friends with. <laughs> wow. Look at that. Nice. So, so, uh, one of the reasons, Mike, that, I, that I'm so agnostic on this subject is because the Beatles themselves have, been, uh, have, have completely endorsed this idea that Paul is dead. Uh, from things like showing Paul's crashed car in the Freeze a Bird video, and, and even in the Memoirs of Billy... Cheers, it's suggested that Neil Aspinall was the driving force behind the marketing of this idea on a consumerism level, which doesn't mean that it didn't actually happen, which is what makes this such an intriguing idea. Um, what, what involvement do you think uh, the Beatles themselves and, and the, the people within Apple Corp's how much knowledge do you think that they had and how much do you think that they participated in like spreading this rumor? Yeah, that's what Darren was wondering about too. Well, I think the first thing we have to understand is the Beatles are a Tavistock project. That's the first thing that we we have to understand. And so Tavistock, of course, is into mind control, social engineering, and you guys are probably well well aware what uh, the stuff that Tavistock's involved in. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. EMI. Also has, uh, and it's even mentioned in the book that um, mm-hmm. EMI has direct connections into British intelligence. And in the book, Shepard uh, states that he worked with the CIA and British intelligence um, via the MK Ultra program in the 1960s wow. to promote LSD, uh, specifically at the Monterey International Pop Festival, which is where you know Jimi Hendrix played. So, you know that that's that's the piece of it that we have to get our heads wrapped around that. Once you've got Tavistock involved, I think that all bets are on. And um, he talks extensively about his um, his Masonic uh, influences, his stature in in Freemasonry. Um, you know, so we have this whole secret society theme running through this. So 
you factor in the Masons, Tavistock, EMI, the CIA, British intelligence, and you know the Beatles were not what they were presented as. Plain and simple. You know, I know a lot of people are not going to want to hear that, but that's the realization I had to come to, Mark, because I, I didn't want to believe that. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge Beatle freak. I'm a guitar player and a musician, and um, they are the reason why I picked up a guitar and started to play. And so when mm. I started to come around on this thing, and you know, I, you know, I, I could go into denial. That's what I was saying to myself, or I can keep reading the book and, and see where it takes me. And by the time I finished the book, I just said, well, it is what it is. Yeah. I, I think this is such a wonderful way to, to begin this, this interview um, because it really whets the appetite uh, for the listeners to, to get more of a general context before we dive into the actual information. So another question that I had for you was as, as a researcher and as somebody who has exposed themselves to a lot of information, do you feel that you or, or someone in your position uh, would be able to, because certainly Tavistock, MK Ultra, CIA, you know, you, you throw in all of these elements that are very attractive of a certain time period and without, without necessarily saying attractive in a positive sense, but, but we're compelled by these things like MK Ultra and Mind Control and Tavistock Institute and the Beatles. Do you, would you be able to take a bunch of assorted information from a certain time period and create a work of fiction? Could do you feel I? that you would be able to do that? Like, for I instance, think, when I was in high school, I read a yeah. book called Candle in the Wind, which was a fictional account of the five days leading to Marilyn Monroe's um, death. And it was, there was a disclaimer at the start that said this was fiction, but you could read it and believe it was true. So what, do you, would you be able to do that with information? And what makes you convinced okay. that the memoirs of Billy Shears is not <laughs> I mean, I keep coming back to the same thing. I apologize if, if I'm repeating myself. No, no, you're, you're not rep repeating yourself. No, he, look, he calls it historical fiction. Um, yeah. Right, right from the onset. So, and the reason why he does that is because he's under uh, confidentiality agreements, non-disclosures. Um, you know, he's got a lot at stake here. This man has made yeah. a gazillion dollars over the years. Yeah. and. He's, you know, he's in no position to give that up. Uh, and he explains in the book that one of the big reasons is because all of this, all this wealth is going to go to his children. So, I mean, he's in a mode here where he's protecting everything he's done in the last 50 years and beyond, right? Because he's going to, like I said, his kids are going to benefit from uh, everything he's done in all of his wealth. So, but to answer your mm -hmm. question, Mark, could somebody pull this together? and create fiction and make it appear to be uh, nonfiction. Yeah, of course, somebody could do that. But that's the point I made in the beginning. For somebody to sit down and just, this had to take an enormous amount of time to write Absolutely. 66 pages. And, and the fact that it's coded. <laughs> and it's right, and it's encoded. You know? It's encoded, exactly. Yeah. So that was the point I was making earlier. Maybe we can expand on that a little bit. You're going to go yeah, yeah. into all of this effort. You're going to write a book that's 666 pages. You're going to encode it, and then you're going to sell it through CreateSpace. Uh, how, how does that work? <laughs> yeah. 
right? So, <laughs> yeah, right. Totally, yeah. So I think that this is very much in line with a lot of stuff that Bill Shepard has done in the past where he has kind of slipped things under the radar. He likes to do that. He likes to have that little yeah. tongue-in-cheek, that little nod and wink, right? The release of the album, The Fireman. Uh, when he yeah, released yeah. his album, Thrillington, right? All of these types of things. And there's many times when Shepard, as McCartney, has played on other albums. You know, he's uh, you know participated in the recordings and whatnot. And he did not put his name on any credits, and he didn't take any credit, and he just... Let it go with that. Um, yeah. So I, I think I think that, to be honest with you, I, I kind of settled in with knowing some of the other stuff that McCartney had done over the years where he didn't stamp his name on it because he didn't want to call attention to him being a participant. I don't know. This kind of falls yeah. to that kind of theme, I think. That, that's a great point. I mean, it, it really does seem absurd that someone would go through all that effort and not try to make any money off of you know, I mean, like, why not go to a, a publisher? Well, because you, you, I, I at least get the impression that it was written by someone that really wasn't doing it for the money. You know, more of that fireman that's passed us under the rug. Well, and it's the same thing um, as the clues on the albums, right? They're just kind of slipping it out there and to see yeah, who picks up yeah. on it, right? So this, to me, is is in the mode of what had been done in the past by Bill Shepard, both as a Beatle and in his uh, post-Beatle uh, career. Do you think it's possible that you Harriet is another alias then for Shepard? I thought about and that. You've that. been corresponding with, you know, <laughs> I thought about that. I, I did. I thought to myself. You know, because yeah. <laughs> again, I mean, I've read it like three, four times, and I, I, you know, I was reading a little bit today. I mean, it's a wonderful. It's it's a brilliant book in that you can literally pick it up in any chapter, and it is compelling. You don't necessarily have to start from the beginning. Um, to, to, to be drawn into it. So having read it a few times and, and when I do, I, I, I constantly think about these different scenarios because tracking down you, Harriet, I mean, like it's, it's almost impossible. I don't know if I've ever seen a picture of him. Um, you know, and interestingly, he, he does have other books out and they're all spiritual books about Zen and, uh, um, which which I found quite interesting. Were you yeah. aware of that? Of his yeah, other books? I, yeah. I saw some of his other books. And uh, the other thing with you, Harriet, that I think that is important to understand is that he uh, has a Bachelor of Arts degree in English from Brigham Young University. So mm-hmm. he is a Mormon. And the Masons are completely tied in to the Mormon religion. And I mentioned this in the interview with Sophia and in my exchanges with Tom. I mean, he never wrote back to me and said, Mike, I, I take issue with you saying I'm a Freemason. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that was never discussed. So I, I'm, I'm going to make an assumption here because I've done a lot of research into secret societies and the Masons and so on and Jesuits that, um, you know, we're dealing with a person who is um, a Freemason and Bill Shepard is a very, very high level Freemason. Now, mm-hmm. Masons are only going to work with Masons. So yeah. Shepard is not going to connect with anybody to do this. So, you know, he connected with somebody that uh, is in the Brotherhood and they work together to, you know, to pull this book together. As, as a musician and as a Beatles fan, 
were you at all surprised by the references in the book to other artists who were aware of uh, McCartney's death and proceeded to write songs about it? Because that is su- something that really grabbed me. <laughs> I, I mean, I was just in shock over some of those references in other people's songs. I was very surprised by that because one of the reasons why I wasn't a believer in his whole Paul is dead thing was I would think to myself, how could it be that nobody has said anything? How could this have been suppressed? Other band members, uh, other bands, friends, engineers, producers, you just go right down the line. How could that be? Uh Well, in the book, he talks about Donovan knew, the Stones knew, the Who knew, Elton John knows. So the thing is, they're all in this game. They're all in it. Yeah. Right. So these these are all creations. Now, it's not to say that they don't write great music and it, it's not to say that they're not creative and great songwriters, but they're all in the same club. And they all got to where they got as far as their fame and fortune, because they're in this system. They're in this system of secret societies, Freemasonry and Look, um, Mark, you read the book. So Bill Shepard gets into the whole satanic aspect of this, Satanism. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's a that's a dark underbelly of this. And Oh, yeah, uh, the whole Crowley thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. And so all of these bands, they're all in on this because they're all doing the same thing. They're all tied into the same people, the same organizations, and they're going through the same process. And so once I understood that, that answered my question as to why these other bands never said a word. Do you think there's any connection to Dave McGowan's work and like the the hippie movement and that subculture that came up in the late 60s? A lot, you know, he was talking about how that was all some sort of, you know, like all those family members, all those guys like Jim Morrison's dad was a big military figurehead and there was a, a he was an admiral i think <clears throat> the and, list was long yeah right? he, he he goes through it. i yeah, mean you can listen to it. yeah exactly he goes through right. like all these bands were possibly you know could have all been a thing and they all came out of laurel canyon all around the same time um it's to me it's the same thing it's the same thing again it doesn't take away in my view from the fact that many of these musicians and these bands are very talented um, in fact many of them may have even been unaware of how tied into a program that they were because the, you mm. know, these programs are run through managers, handlers, and so on. Um, as an example, you know, the Beatles were, you know, their recording company was EMI. Well, EMI was directly tied into British intelligence. You know, did the rest of the Beatles know yeah, that? that would, that's was pretty interesting in the book. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's what happens in many of these bands. Um, they the band members are not aware. That's my personal view. Now, some of them could be, but I think the vast majority of them are not aware. And um, so then what happens is the process of steering them starts to take place. Right. And some of them pan out and some of them do not right. pan out. I mean, Zappa out of Laurel Canyon also. And I have a hard time believing that Frank Zappa was going along with the program. He was probably, in my view, one of the largest anti-establishment performers and musicians we had out there. So he may have been one of those guys that they were trying to steer, but they finally gave up. You know, they just couldn't do anything with Frank. Well, it makes you wonder, too, that these bands couldn't get that popular back then if they didn't get the play, right? Like, obviously, you know, I didn't really 
sort of buy into all this stuff until a few years ago when I started realizing how much control the media has on who it plays and how much they play it. And, and, you know, it does seem to be like probably less so now because of social media and the way we, you know, there's so many more bands out there and you can listen to them without listening to the radio. But I mean, back, back then, like that's how everybody found out about these bands, right? Right. Yeah, that's right. And remember back in those days, payola, you couldn't go on the radio unless money was exchanged. Um, you know, that goes yeah, back, all way back to the 1950s, yeah. right? So, yeah, um, today it's, I think, a lot easier to dig into this stuff and research it. Back then, we didn't have an internet. <laughs> so so uh, it was a lot more difficult to figure it out. So what's the purpose then of, of like, the, the big picture purpose of them covering up Paul McCartney's death and, and replacing him with somebody else? I mean, obviously they had, there's the, you know, you want to keep that, that ball rolling, like keep the Beatles going i guess but why is it is it a, is it a pop culture experiment or is it is it a, as a distraction for people like what what's the the intention behind it well i think the intention is that there was so much money involved with the beatles the beatles were cranking um, a lot of cash and i believe that they had become concerned that uh, paul mccartney who was arguably the most popular beatle he and john lennon um, if he were not in the picture anymore, that they just weren't quite sure where this was going to go. So the Beatles could have ended yeah. in uh, September of 1966. Now, the other piece of this says to me, though, that um, I'm not so sure I quite believe that story, although I think it has some credibility. I believe that Tavistock wanted to see whether they could hide a major league well-known artist in plain sight. And what would the public reaction be to that? Would the public figure it out? Yeah, so that's, I, the I, that's what I think. Part of it, yeah. it, was, it was an yeah. experiment, right? So that's what I think it was. I think they said, hey, you know what? Uh, this is perfect. Let's see what happens. Let's see if they pick up on the fact that this guy is not Paul McCartney. And in, in one of the shows, it was either Sophia or with I did a show with Mark Devlin also. That, that was a big, big win, in my view, for Tavistock. Huge, huge win. Because they had to sit there probably in amazement and, and say to themselves, this is unbelievable. Nobody, well, virtually nobody, has picked up on this. And even when we put the clues out there, nobody cares. You know? So here yeah. we have this very high-profile musician, entertainer. He's not the guy that everybody believes he is. We're, we're watching an impersonator and... Nobody knows. Nobody cares. So I think that that, from a Tavistock perspective, was a big check mark for them. What are the? What and, are and the? And a lot of Beatles fans. Are, oh, sir, go ahead. What would be like the well, top? Just, if someone hasn't hasn't looked into it, what what are the? Would you say are the top ten clues? So the top ten clues would be um, well their record album. So you can start with Sergeant Pepper. Um, although it goes before Sergeant Pepper, if you take a look at the Beatles uh, yesterday and today. Uh, album cover where Paul is sitting in the, um, there's like a, a chest there, a big suitcase chest, and he's sitting inside of it. That was one clue. But Pepper was loaded up with clues. And in the book, I believe it was chapter 11. I don't have it in front of me. But um, Shepard goes into great, great detail about everything that was included on the Pepper album, uh, all Masonic, all 
mysticism, uh, all esoteric. And he also makes the claim that um, uh, Peter Blake got credit for doing the uh, Sgt. Pepper album cover, but he said that was just just somebody's name basically to to attribute the album cover to. He said he was behind the creation of Sgt. Pepper, the entire album, soup to nuts, including the album cover. He was in charge from the day that he showed up. But the album covers, you have all of the back masking. Um, and then one of the, um, well, the, one of the other album covers that people would point to all the time uh, is Abbey Road, them crossing the street, also Magical Mystery Tour. But um, the pictures of Paul McCartney, I, I put something up on Facebook about two weeks ago, guys, where I had uh, pulled a bunch of um, pictures of McCartney from, I started with 1964 and 65 when it was the biological Paul. And then I went through time and it was uh, two PowerPoint slides. And I just put the pictures right next to each other going through time. It's not the same person. It's not the same person. And uh, I had a number of people comment on it on my Facebook page. And they said, you know, Mike, when you look at it like this, when you have it right in front of your face, this comparison, it's obvious that this guy is not this guy. So I would, I would well, tell the earlobes thing. Yeah. Oh, it's oh sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And no, I was going to say, here's, yeah, that, that for me, that was the, one of the biggest ones is you don't height. go from attached earlobes to detached. Yeah. And the height, you know, those are things that aren't, <laughs> you know, um, I, I have time just for one more question, Mike, before I go and I'll leave you with, with Graham and Darren, but I was curious for this book now has been out, uh, first edition since 2009. Why do you think there's, it's not more talked about this book? And when do you think that it might be when, when Shepard dies, when yeah, do you think I, this book will become more? That's a good question. And that's why that's another reason why I think that the book is legit because it's out there. And like I said, he's going through create space and he's also selling the book on his, uh, you Harry it is on his, on his website. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that they care. I don't think that they mind that it's a, uh, you know, it's a slow drip. I, I really don't. Um, I mean, mm. what does, what does Shepard have to lose? He's got, you know, like I said before, a gazillion dollars. Uh, I'm sure that exactly. Harriet was paid very, very well to participate in the uh, in the writing of the book. And um, it's like everything else. Here's another clue for you all. You know, the walrus is Paul. Yeah. Well, that's right. So that's what I that's what I think is going on. And in the book, he does state, though, that when he does pass away, that there's going to be a lot more information coming out. And I was thinking to myself, OK, I don't know what a lot more means. He's got six hundred and sixty six pages of stuff. That blew my mind, but um, but he's he's saying that he's got more coming, and so we'll just have to see. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mike, for the opportunity to ask you questions. And I know Darren and Graham are anxious to jump in and dive into more of the contents of the book. But I really wanted to just be able to ask you, you know, the philosophical questions from one reader to another, from one researcher to another about what made this credible for you and what your experience was. So have a great evening and, and, and a great chat with Darren and Graham. Thank you, Darren and Graham, for inviting me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And, uh, yep. and I'll, I'll let you guys continue. I have a class to go to. All right. Thanks <laughs> a lot. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thank thanks, you, Mark. Mark. All right. right now. Take care. Now we have to wade back into the shallow end of the pool. <laughs> <laughs>
He had some great questions, by the way. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, he. I just Very felt good. like uh, we like to try and get people involved when they're super interested in, in our guests and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I keep coming back to the the intention and the experiments and why why the intelligence communities or wh- whatever you want to call them are sort of uh, getting involved in all this stuff. Like, but I mean. It, if you if you uh, if you think about that experiment you were talking about, like will people notice? And if we didn't notice, like I'm not sure how long it took for people to start uh, getting wind of this possibly being a conspiracy, and like when it sort of started to open up. But I mean, you could see these Tavistocks and these intelligence agencies, uh, you know, jumping on that and going, okay, well they're not noticing this kind of stuff. We can take it to the next level. And then I mean, when you get to the '80s and the '90s with the music scene and all that, who knows what uh, kind of involvement there is? Yeah, well, they were very surprised that um, they were dropping the clues, and you know, the clues were there since Sergeant Pepper, and it wasn't until 1969 that the um, so like it three caught the year, public's three attention. After, three years after, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, two or three years later, and that was because they had fed the clues to a guy by the name of Fred Labor, and uh, Fred, I guess, was in college at the time, and it wound up making a Missouri. I think it was a Missouri newspaper. And that kind of got the ball going. Um, so they were clearly looking for this to get some legs. And, of course, my theory is it's because they wanted to see what would happen. You know, if it did break, and let's just say that he got called out and they figured out that he wasn't Paul McCarty, that he's Bill Shepard, then what would have happened? Would people just shrug their shoulders and say, wow, that's interesting. I still like the music. Mm-hmm. You know, carry on. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so in my view, Tavistock didn't have a whole lot to lose in this whole thing. And, um, you know, and and Shepard himself was instrumental. He wasn't just a, a body that they picked out. This is a guy that was nurtured from, you know, very, very early on in his life. In the book, he states that, you know, he comes from a, a Masonic family, that his uncle was a very high ranking Mason, his his uncle was the one that made the call to um, George Martin to tell George Martin, that's the new guy. Uh, make sure he suits up. And by the time that George Martin got around to uh, to letting Brian Epstein know, Epstein had already known. So that calls into question uh, and whether the whole uh, Paul is dead, Paul dying was an accident or not. Yeah, I was just going to get into that. Yeah, you know that that calls that into play, and that's a legitimate question for people to ask. They killed Paul. Yeah, well, possibly, or that um, you know, if the Masons are involved in what they what's referred to as rituals, and um, McCartney, Paul McCartney, biological Paul, uh, could have been in the pipeline from the very beginning as a uh, a ritual death um as part of their um you know their their uh masonic uh how how do i say this you know they 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 do these rituals in order to bring more power right in order to make something more powerful now the other option is and i don't rule this out is that perhaps paul didn't die Maybe it was a metaphor, metaphorical uh, death. Maybe he was replaced. 
right. you know, and then just rode into the sunset. You know, that's the other thing I think we have to keep in the back of our minds. So, um, you know, so this whole thing is very, in, in a lot of ways, it's very fluid. Now, wasn't there some pretty strange stuff as well between the two of them? Like, didn't um, didn't Billy Shepard have dreams or some sort of premonition? Paul had dreams. Oh, it was yeah. Paul that had them. Yeah. Yeah, he was having premonitions of his death. And um, and he was having these nightmares and he would talk to the other band members. He would talk to you know John and George and Ringo about these dreams that he was having. And they would kind of scoff it off and, you know, just tell him, you know, uh, he was being, you know, crazy and, and so on. And they didn't take it very seriously. And um, he was also, according to the book, he was making plans uh, in preparation of his departure or his death, which I thought was kind of interesting because at that point, what was he, uh, 23 years old? He was 24 when he died. So let's just say he was 23. What 23-year-old person starts making plans and preparations for when they're not here anymore, dying? I mean, it just didn't seem, I don't know, doesn't seem natural. It's not natural. So there was just something, um, in my view, Graham, that this, I think this was planned out. Uh, and I think it was in the works for a very long time. In fact, in the book, uh, Shepard says that, uh, you know, his uncle had brought him along from an early age, ensuring that he had the proper training and skills and experience um, so that he was ready when this point in time was reached. Mm. So, you know, what does that mean? I don't know whether that means when Paul McCartney died or some other opportunity arose where he would be able to step in. So uh, yeah. that was a very, very, uh, like I said, very interesting part of the book that he talks about. Hmm. I wonder if they would have had replacements for all the Beatles then? <laughs> well, he said that uh, Lennon, Shepard said that Lennon was starting to get very paranoid. So uh, when Shepard had shown up and they were recording Sergeant Pepper, John started to wonder, well, could I be replaced? In other words, not that he would die, but if they decided that they didn't want him around anymore or, you know, his shelf life was up, could they bring somebody else in? And there we go. Now we have a new John Lennon. So in the book, he talks about the fact that Lennon was paranoid about that. Man, that's fascinating. I mean, the, fun, fascinating. the funny comparison is, I mean, just from like a mundane point of view is, I mean, you see a lot of band member switcheroos nowadays. Right. And it's just kind of, you know, nobody really cares too much. But back then, back then, I mean, you know, you could be worried about losing your audience and you'd think like it could just be in the 60s. It wouldn't be that hard to fucking trick people. Right? Just stay away from the cameras for a year or two. Don't right. get too close to the groupies. None of them I've seen you up close before for the most part. Yeah. What about his family? What about his family? Yeah. Shepherd's family. Well, did like did the real did biological Paul have oh, any? Oh, yeah, biological Paul. I, I look. I, this is going going to be a an assumption on my part, but I don't think I'm going to be wrong. I believe his father was a very high ranking Freemason, James McCartney, and uh, because what happened was when Shepherd was introduced to the family. In fact, he was. Um, in fact, let me just show talk to you guys about something here. You'll kind of get the point. It'd be mm -hmm. a lot easier for me to do it this way. Um, so let me just take you through some dates and this will kind of fill in 
uh, the blanks. Yeah, yeah. So McCarty dies, right, on September 11th, Sunday, 1966, decapitated. And it was a lady passenger. Her name was Donna. So he had picked up a, uh, a hitchhiker. The bodies were pronounced dead after midnight on Monday, September 12th. But evidently, they're using the September 11th, 1966 um, date, 9-11, as the date of death, right? Because he was in a, the car accident was horrific, according to the book and other accounts. Brian Epstein meets Bill Shepard on September 12th and brings him on board. So Shepard was known as Billy Pepper, and he was recording Mercy Beat albums, which included Beatle cover songs. And um, those albums were called Billy Pepper and the Pepper Pot. So here we have McCartney dying on September 11th, late at night. They um, pronounce him dead on September 12th. Epstein meets Bill Shepard on September 12th, like he just appears from nowhere. Brian Epstein sends Lennon a telegram. Uh, Lennon was in Paris at the time. That was on Tuesday, September 13th. Um, then Brian Epstein introduces Shepard to John on Friday, September 16th. This was five days after Paul had died. And that meeting took place in Paris, France. So when you look at those dates and you step through it, yet the first question you have to ask yourself is, well, they just didn't pluck him out of a line. You know, he, he was in the pipeline. Shepard was in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. So um, so in order for Shepard to be in the pipeline, in my view, I, I think that the whole thing was mastermind, masterminded by these, by these Freemasons. And I believe James McCartney, Jim McCartney, Paul, biological Paul's dad, was in on it because they had introduced Shepard to the McCartney family. I think it was the 12th. I think it was on September 12th. And they had a big kumbaya. And the way it's told in the book is that the McCartney family was game for this and they were good to go because it would carry on their son's legacy. And he, he says in the book that um, they were uh, offering Bill, you know, um, some of Paul's clothes and stuff like this, which, of course, didn't fit because biological Paul was shorter, uh, smaller guy than Shepard. Shepard is a pretty tall guy. And so he, he's going through all this. And so the first thing I thought to myself, guys, when I was reading this was, well, what family who has their son pass away just hours before has some stranger sitting in their living room talking about replacing him in a band? I, mean, I would think that as a family, you'd be thinking to yourself, I don't care about the band. <laughs> you know, my, my son was just killed in an auto accident and you guys want to talk about whether this guy can fill in for him? Mm-hmm. I mean, would you please go away? You know, but that didn't happen. So, you know, it's 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 really weird. The whole thing is very creepy, in fact. So I think that, um, like I said, based upon the book and the uh, the chronology that a shepherd is taking us through, that, uh, you know, they were all in on it. Yeah, you know, plus it is, is it is a little more suspect than I thought, too, picking up the hitchhiker and then, you know, decapitation. Like, come on. I don't know. You know, it sounds right. a bit too it sounds a bit too convenient. Yeah, and the song Lady Madonna is Lady Mac McCartney Donna, the girl in the car. So when you <laughs> listen to the song, yeah, when you listen to the song Lady Mac Donna, take a look at the lyrics. I'm sure you guys have listened to them, right? He he lays all the dates out. 
he lays the dates out of what transpired. The chronology is in the song. Yeah, it's it's so crazy the symbolism. Like, do you do you find that do you follow some of the new <clears throat> conspiracies over Illuminati symbolism and some of our current uh, like famous yeah. pop stars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, so you think there is something? I mean, obviously it's part of the same same thing, really. It is the same thing, and that's the other thing that I tell folks is that nothing has changed. It's just it's just gotten more. Um, it's more on our face now. And I, and I think that that's by design. I think it's because they want to make it pop culture so that it, it makes it less scary. It makes it uh, less ominous, if you will. So if you've got them walking around, covering their eye, making triangles, you know, with their hands and so on, um, then, you know, people are going to think that that's cool. You know? Is it, isn't there something else about, about that as well? Like, uh, Almost, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Something occult, like like putting it out there is almost uh, giving yourself. Uh, like you, you could, you could almost say um, you told them so in some weird symbolistic way. So you kind of free yourself from the karma that that you know lying about that stuff would bring. You know, that's almost one of the reasons why they put it out there so that they can. Uh, yeah, metaphysically say, oh well, we we told people or we put it out there. We're not hiding it because it's out there in symbolism, so we're free from the bonds. You know? Yeah, I've I've heard that you know that it frees them from um, from bad karma, if you will. I'm not sure that I buy into that because it's still deception. You're still deceiving, even though you're putting it out there. You're putting it out there in a very very deceptive way. And you know you're putting it out there deceptively, and you know that because you're doing it that way, that the very uh, the vast majority of the folks are not going to get it um, because they're ignorant to your um, to your symbolism and, and your sigils and all that stuff. So that's the thing when people bring that up about the karma aspect of it. I understand the premise, but I don't I don't agree with it. So you think it's more of a metaphysical gain of power than through the symbolism? Power. Yep. Yep, by flashing those symbols and their sigils, it's power. That's what I think it is. And um, that's what I had mentioned before about the, uh, when I talked about the, the killing of Paul McCarty, if he indeed he did die, let's say he wasn't replaced and he rode into the sunset, that he actually physically died and it was a Masonic blood ritual, that's power. Hmm. Blood is very, very important in their rituals. Blood sacrifices is very, very important. Um so, so uh, I think, let's go, no, go keep going. No, good. I'm, I'm good. Well, I, I wonder about, uh, you know, we get into this every once in a while, the Illuminati and the, the power brokers of the world. And how do you connect or do you try and reconcile this yourself? Like the people responsible for this kind of thing and, and, and how that connects to, I don't know whether it's our, you know, the banksters or whether it's, uh, you know, the Bilderbergs or the Trilateral Commission, or is, is it even beyond them? Or like, how do you, what's your feeling on like who, who this is and are these players international or American or, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's worldwide. Um, you know, we have worldwide controllers. We don't have uh, geographic controllers. I mean, they have their geographic minions, Right. They, uh, they they masquerade as politicians and so on, but it's it's international, it's global, it's uh, you know. So it goes up uh, through the secret societies, and um, it all ends up at the end of the day back into the Vatican with the Jesuits. 
So um, yeah, that's this is all con- getting it. Yeah, it's all, it's all it's all controlled. Everything is controlled. In fact, I you know Oli Damagard is a very good friend of mine, and I on one show I had said to Oli that everything worth knowing is a lie, Oli, and I, I don't believe I'm wrong. Anything that's worth knowing is a lie. Um, I mean, just pick something, and you know once you start digging into it and you get into that rabbit hole, you're going to find that what you were told, what you were taught was not the truth. Right. So this goes back thousands of years then, right? The Vatican, oh, yeah. the Jesuits, this is back to, uh, like, how how far back? Like Egyptian mystery school type stuff? or Oh, yeah, back to the Egyptian mystery schools. Back yeah. Definitely back into Babylon. So, uh, yeah, it goes way, way back. And um, they just, you know, today they have um, the means, they have the technology available to them to be able to uh, sway the uh, the minds and the beliefs and the values of people easier. Back in the old days, I mean, you basically had to kill people, right? You had to you had to cause all kinds of pain, and and you had a war, and 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 all that good stuff in order to get people to you know to get them under your thumb. But now the technology is is such that um, they're be, they're able to do all of this mind shaping and conditioning, all of this mind control and this programming. By people watching a television set, listening to the radio, reading the newspaper, reading magazines, uh, listening to music, and so on. You know, mm-hmm. so that this is this is how they do it now. It's it's uh, it's not this invasive approach that existed. You know, even a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago. Today, yeah. it's uh, they could just blast it out, and people are more than happy to sit in front of their TV sets. Well, then, and plus there's, the, plus there's the meds and the, and the fluoride and I mean, all the other stuff that, yeah. you know, the sugar, whatever else they've, you know, made it easy for us to, to. Well, think how easy it would be to just be slowly editing the internet, especially when some sort of content control comes into place or well, that's what I was truth just, verification. Do you think, I was just going to ask him that. I mean, is the internet the, the wild card here though? And that there's a chance that this is going to blow up in their face or is that just uh, the next control mechanism? I believe that it could blow up in their face. Um, I don't think that everything that they do is perfect. And they do make mistakes. Now, the thing is that they're able to recover from their mistakes because they control everything. Um, or they like to believe that they control everything. But people are awakening to the fact that they're being lied to and that there's deception. And and so um, I think it's going to be more difficult for the controllers to be able to move at the rate and pace that they are accustomed to. So, uh, you know, but it, whether they get to their final, their end state, um, that's going to depend on the rate and pace of people waking up, in my view. But, I mean, let's face it, though. I, I, I'm, I'm a realist about this. They have a lot of tools in their tool bag, a lot more than we do, for sure. And they've been doing this very, a very, very long time, and they're utilizing uh, mysticism black magic, sorcery, the esoteric, all of this stuff. I mean, you know, at the very top, these these people are adepts and initiatives. Um, and we are the profane. Mm-hmm. You know, even people who think they know a lot about this stuff, researchers that get into the rabbit hole and they expose this and expose that. Yeah, yeah. 
tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Tip of the iceberg. And yeah. you realize that so much of it is disinformation as well. It's so hard to, to parse away the, exactly. the truth from from the disinformation. Yep. So, Darren, what, you, you think that this is, uh, <clears throat> that they're going to be able to just edit the internet and like that's going to be the easiest way for them to... Eventually. Yeah. Like, right now, it's pretty easy for schmucks like us to make websites. About, I mean... And and you can still get quite a bit of bit of reach, but I could see, I could see, you know, maybe not in our lifetime, but I could see, you know, a generation from now, you you can't just do it right, or everyone notices, and then you have problems. Because like gotta, even on Twitter, you slowly even tweak it over a generation, right? You wait till we're a little older, and you 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 start tightening it up, and then you know we're like, wow, but the kids are like, well, they're just kind of you know crazy. Yeah, and then, then we, the next generation, you reel it back again, and then all of a sudden, you know, Google's the only search engine, and there's, yeah, and all, only and there's only about, one page results. Yeah, and, and they only worry about people that are way too close to the real truth. So if if you're out there and you think you found something, and you're putting it up on websites and blogs, or you're doing YouTube documentaries, uh, in most cases, you're not anywhere near where the alarm bells would go off of them. You know? Right. So, right. That's the other thing. So there's degrees of, of how close you get to uh, the truth with regard to these, these controllers, these puppet masters. Have you made it close? <laughs> Me personally? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, I, I have a lot of interesting guests. And we talk about a lot of very, very interesting topics like, you know, MK Ultra and the show I just had with Sophia about the, the biological darkness with the sepsis agenda and stuff like that. And, you know, but even if they listen to that, they would say, well, those are two people that get it. Okay. But that's two people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. And, uh, and, you know, Mike's got 4,300 subscribers, so we're not going to worry about him. Yeah. Yeah. What's you the, uh, what's the deal with the biological darkness and the sepsis? It's, I, I find it just fascinating just reading the summary there. Well, they're just breaking down our mind body dynamic dynamic. And, you know, they're doing this by, uh, keeping us from the, you know, real sunlight, which brings health benefits to us, you know, vitamin D revitalizes yeah. our body and, you know, and everything is artificial light. Everything is, uh, um, has to do with, um, the whole process of the pharmaceutical business, the, you know, the GMOs, the vaccines, the flu shots, the fluoride, the aspartame, the chemtrails, the sugar, yeah. It, Sure, everything, everything, yeah. you know, this is to break us down and uh, that's the sepsis cycle and, and to keep us constantly with disease and illness best they can. And uh, it's a very, very evil, very twisted agenda. You guys know, I mean, I saw your website, Graham, so I, I know that you guys are getting into this stuff too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. Oh, so it's, it's just fascinating because, I, I mean, we've been... I've been into this sort of biohacking stuff lately as well, and I can hear <clears throat> I hear all this stuff about how good sunlight is for us now, and like it doesn't even really cause cancer. It's it's more of uh, the sun is know, biohacking the sun, now. The getting, sun is getting sunlight well, is biohacking. Yeah, they're talking to all these guys that are super healthy doctors and stuff, and they're into this, Indians and they're, they, their priority is to get outside in the sun first thing in the morning and get that light and get right. that air. And, you know, and we talk about it through the winter, like we go from indoors and it's dark and we go into fluorescent lighting all day long and we get back and our melatonin is suppressed, like the, the, the um, you know, our melatonin um, manufacturing, what do you call it? 
Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, it's suppressed. So you can't sleep properly. Then that causes other things. And then the, oh, it's just it is it is nonstop. And I we're just starting. I'm just starting to get it really interested in all this stuff. And it seems to keep coming up. You know how important uh, healthy water and healthy sun and breathing yeah. and yeah, it's interesting. Well, one of the things we talked about, Sophia and I, is that moonlight is a septic cycle. Uh, septic cycle. There's sepsis in the moonlight. Sunlight during the day is antiseptic. So uh, what they're doing, when you think about it is, and we discussed this, is they are prolonging the, the sepsis cycle, the septic cycle of nighttime and moonlight with the chemtrails. So they're blocking the real healthy stuff. And so we have a disproportionate amount of septic light in our lives. And this is to generate disease and it's to generate illness and to keep you unhealthy, you know? So it's, it's really, you know, when you think about the magnitude of what it is that these lunatics are doing, um, unfortunately, they have their hands in everything. It's, it's so, so wide ranging that it's mind boggling. Um, and like I say all the time, it's an anti-humanity agenda, but plain and simple. I mean, I don't know how anybody else, you know, could look at it any other way. So what's 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 resonating with your listeners right now as far as your show goes? Like, do you have any f- sort of favorite favorite themes or stuff that you're on top of right now? I, I would say right now, um, some of the spiritual stuff, getting into uh, artificial intelligence. I did a show recently with Christopher Gardner on the new sphere, which is the ether, and you know what's contained in the ether, and um, basically that human beings are. Uh, designed to be so, so much more than what we are relegated to. And and many times we relegate ourselves to because we believe the lies and we believe the deceptions and the authority, you know. So I think that that's a piece that resonates with a lot of people. Um, You know, I'm also a a hypnotherapist, so I do a lot of uh, past life regressions and take people back into past lives. So if you believe in reincarnation, um, you know, people will get that aspect of it. Um, that's, I find people to be fascinated with that topic too, uh, yeah, about yeah. being able to, you know, uh, experience a past life. So those types of topics, I love those themes anyway, uh, more so than some other stuff, but I try to cover all bases as much as I can. Yeah. It's super interesting how the, uh, I was going to ask you about that, how spirituality seems to cross over into all this stuff. Like as soon as you start getting into alternative research and history and, and conspiracies even a little bit or whatever, it seems like spirituality overlaps. You know, those people are sort of working on themselves or they're, or they're, you know, not stuck in front of the TV, but they're meditating or doing yoga or something. There's some sort of, there's some sort of uh, openness or overlap that happens. It's, it's super interesting to me. Well, yeah, well, lack of spirituality is the reason why we're in big trouble because it's a disconnect from, from the creator, from your divine aspect. Um, so to the degree that we get back our connection, we're going to see a better world. Um, I mean, this is what I, I believe, and this is what I explain to folks. This is why there is a uh, an anti-God, an atheist agenda in place. I mean, science today is all about there is no God. Um, it's, it's all, um, you know, everything happened because of a big bang. It was all, it was chaos. And then there was order, right. Which is Masonic in itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
the, you know, the whole discussion about evolution and Darwinism and all that stuff. And that that's all there. It's all out there to make people believe that you came from a monkey and you're not really any smarter than when you were a monkey. <laughs> yeah. And this is what they want people to believe. And they want to keep people in a box and they don't want you questioning anything. It's like what George Carlin said, right? They want you smart enough just to work the machines. They don't want critical thinkers and free thinkers. Yeah. That's none of that. Well, yeah, it's, it's interesting how the Freemasons themselves, like they, they're part of their whole thing is that you have to believe in a higher power or like the architect of the great architect. Like I, I'm pretty sure that it's not dogmatic, but you, or this is at least on the surface that you just have to have some sort of higher power belief, Yeah, which is interesting. And, and yet the, you know, then we're stuck in this materialistic paradigm where, like you said, that it's the atheist agenda is really driving things right now. It is. And it's been driving it for a very long time. And, um, if you just take a step back, um, I'm talking to the folks on the uh, on the listening side here and just take a look at what you're being taught. I mean, where is source? Where is the creator in all of this? Um, even the religions. I mean, the religions are nothing more than uh, mechanisms to control spirituality. Exactly. That, that's all it is. Right. Right. Yeah. So everything is in place to to keep us in a box, basically. Have you seen good evidence uh, of healing through your hypno um, therapy sessions with people? Oh, sure. Like yeah. people that are, that what is it, is it the premise? Like once you sort of acknowledge uh, some of your past life stuff, um, you know, the healing sort of begins. It's an awareness. What happens is once your your inner mind becomes aware of uh, a change that you want to make, um, what happens? It works very hard on trying to make that change. Now, the key to it is, is you have to stay dedicated to wanting to make that change. You have to have intention. So you, you just can't come into a session and then just not make any changes and just hop right back into the frying pan. Right. Because I have clients that come to me and they say, oh, I have so much stress, Mike. You have to help me with stress relief. So I'll work with them to, um, to bring stress relief. And they feel very, very good when they leave the sessions and they will feel very good for, you know, weeks and as long as they continue to stay with the regimen. But the thing is, you come in for a hypnosis session, I'm working with you an hour at a time, but you're still being inundated with all of the external factors in your real life stuff. So if you're looking to have stress relief, yet every single day you're banging into stuff that's going to raise your stress levels and you know shoot it up through the roof, that's going to be a little self-defeating. So... What happens is you you have to have a really a holistic uh, view of where you want to be uh, with your life, what kind of life you want to have. Um, and that takes work. It, it does. It takes work. And that's the thing that I find that a lot of people, they want a silver bullet, Graham. They want me to bang them on the head with a magic wand yeah, and yeah. everything's going to be better you know, forever. After you leave my office, after being with me for an hour, or if you have a couple of sessions, you know, two or three hours. And um, I always explain to my clients now, you you have a, a job, you have a, a piece of this responsibility yourself. In fact, you have virtually all the responsibility. You have to make commitments to yourself to want to really change. And that's going to mean that you have to make better decisions, different decisions, better choices. And um, so, but, you know, I work with my clients on that. I love my clients. I really do. I love helping people and, and bringing them in and seeing if I can get them, you know, 
feeling better and having a better outlook in life and so on. But it takes work. It, it does. It takes work. Yeah, I know. We found that we find that uh, topic interesting as well. And it's just, you know, there's so much anecdotal evidence of, of that helping people. It's just annoying how it's still um, just, you know, ignored by the scientific community for the most part. I mean, I know there's people doing studies out there. There's lots of NDE and, you know, OBE and right. past life research, but they just sweep it under the rug. They ignore it. <laughs> Well, it's like everything else. They don't want you to know that. Yeah. They don't want you to know that. So you have to stay in the dark on that stuff. I've been yeah. a practicing regressionist hypnotherapist for six years. And I've had many, many clients and I've done many, many past life regressions. And, uh, you know, these things, uh, there's a process when you die. It's not happenstance. It's not, uh, you're not hallucinating like they want to tell folks who have NDEs. Yeah. Oh, you're just yeah. hallucinating. The brain is lacking oxygen, so you're hallucinating. Well, how how does everybody have the same hallucination then? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's very interesting. So what is going on down there right now? By the time this podcast comes out, I mean, we do, we do our podcast is on demand. I mean, it'll go to YouTube eventually, but uh, it's not live radio, as you know. But by the time this comes out, we will have... Uh, well, I don't know. We might have a new president. Who knows? No, we or not us, oh, yeah, we will. Not us because we're in Canada, but we like to. It's pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> but we're, it's, I mean, it's just a, it's crazy every day. We, you know, there's new corruption allegations coming out. I mean, things seem to be like, I feel like, I mean, I don't want to be naive about it, but I feel like social media and, and like the, the alternative news is starting to make some headway. Like the, the corrupt, the corruption in the mainstream media seems to be just cracking open. Like people are, it's so visible this, this last couple of months. Yeah, no, it's, it's opening up. And then of course you always have folks that'll say that how much of that is controlled opposition. Yep. Right. So yep. we have to be very aware of that. You have to stay very, very vigilant with this stuff. And, uh, and it's tough. I mean, sometimes you get sucked in, you know, sometimes I'll get sucked in. I, I, I like to think of myself as being very vigilant and being very prudent whenever I read something or research something. But sometimes, you know, the folks that are spreading disinformation, they're extremely good at being convincing. So sometimes you you might wander off in the wrong direction. But yeah, but I do agree that what's happening is that uh, the alternative media is having an impact. And I tell folks that um, this whole thing here in the United States between uh, Donald Trump and, and Hillary Clinton is uh, is a good thing because what's happened with this is many people, Graham, that were sound asleep, uh, right. you couldn't wake them up, are now aware that at least, at the very least, there's corruption within politics. Like you and I would be laughing at that because we, it's always been there. Yeah. But we would be, you know, you would be surprised at how many people had no clue whatsoever. They just believed that everything worked the way it was supposed to work. And they were just drinking the Kool-Aid for, for years and years and years, for, for some people for many decades. But this election process has blown the roof right off the joint. And um, I have a lot of folks that that I'm talking to, friends and family, that, you know, six, seven years ago when I was telling them a lot of... <laughs> What was going on? They would laugh at me. I, yeah. I was I was a tinfoil hat wearer. I was a conspiratard, you know. And now Donald Trump, the rea the reality TV star guy, gets up there. He says the same thing I was saying, and that and they're cheering him. Yeah. He's he's filling you know he's filling auditoriums at twenty, thirty, forty thousand people. So hey, look, you know what? 
I'll take it any way I can get it. So if it takes uh, Donald Trump to get people to wake him up, then uh, I guess that's how we're going to get them to wake up. Whatever it takes, I suppose, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, we, we, uh, I think that uh, even if Trump gets in, uh, you know, he may find out that he's handcuffed and he can't really do anything anyways. But I think this whole process has been, you know, especially just over the last couple of weeks, really, with all the the Veritas videos and the WikiLeaks, like things are even the last couple of days. I mean, things are really, really changing. I think people, including the mainstream media, might have to jump on top of this as well, you know, or, or else they'll it'll really show how uh or else it'll become irrelevant yeah well yeah yeah, exactly yeah yeah i have a theory that we have um we have uh, a division within the deep state so uh, we have the we have the old guard which is uh hillary clinton uh she's uh, part of the old guard she's representing them and then you have a new guard and um the new guard's always been there it's just that uh, my theory is that they did not have the critical mass to take the old guard on head to head. And I think in this election cycle, they finally reached that critical mass and um, that they actually obviously selected Trump to be the front person, the veneer um, to take this all on. Because obviously, in my view, um, they connected into InfoWars. So Alex Jones, uh, I, you know, I don't know what you guys think of Alex Jones or InfoWars, but he has a huge audience, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what they did was uh, they connected Jones up with uh, Roger Stone. And so InfoWars is part of this uh, of this plan, this strategy. This to new, get the, information the, new, out. the new guard sort of? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you think about it, they, they didn't have a vehicle with the with the mainstream media. Right, the, right. You know, the, right, the corporate owned media. So they had to go to large outlets like Infowars in order to get the word out, and the same thing with Julian Assange. Nobody paid any attention to WikiLeaks, honestly. I mean, he's been at this for a long time, and I don't want to say no. Nobody paid any attention, but it wasn't to the degree that it is now. I mean, people now act chomping at the bit. When is Julian Assange going to release more WikiLeaks? You know, <laughs> yeah. people are going nuts over this stuff. So I think that they, you know, they brought Assange in. Uh, they cut a deal with him. They cut a deal with uh, Infowars and Alex Jones. Everybody, you know, uh, is, is, there's been deals cut and they say, look, if, if you want this to change, if you want to steer the ship in a different direction, uh, then this is what we all have to do. And that's what I think could very well be going on. Um, so I mean, just, you know, do you think that that's going to that gives us hope that the old guard is or the new guard is um, better? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, is it a, how deep is the conflict, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, is it, you know, some surface ideals or are they, are they going to take the ship in a different direction, do you think? Uh, that's that's a good question. It's really hard to know. But based upon Trump talking about nationalism versus globalism or internationalism, yeah. Yeah. that's that's a pretty big divide. That's a huge divide. And uh, the fact that he's talking about cutting the taxes here uh, by 30 percent, that's a monstrosity. That's something that's not going to sit well with the central banks, the Federal Reserve. Um, talking about killing Common Core, which is another uh, you know, stake in the heart, because that's essentially saying we're, we're no longer going to be working with Soviet style, a Soviet style education system. He yeah. wants to bring all the education back down to the local level, like it was here in the United States back in the 1960s. We didn't get the Soviet style 
um, you know, centralized education system until the 1970s when they created the, um, the Department of Education here in the United States. Before that, um, it was all at the local level. And of course, I remember going to school and really loving school when I was a kid. So, you know, um, it was more organic. So there's a lot of stuff that he's doing. Um, the fact that he's talking about revitalizing the inner cities, uh, the infrastructure in, in this country and so on. Um, you know, I mean, I don't agree with him on everything. You know, I, I don't. Um, I, I think that, you know, the way he carries himself is, you know, a little <laughs> over the top. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, but you know what? Here's the thing, though. He's got to be over the top because we have a culture of TV. We have a culture of media. We have a culture of people who like to watch reality TV shows and uh, they like bombastic personalities and they like wealth. And they had to put somebody up there that people can relate to. Otherwise, they would they would go to, to sleep on us. Right. When we had Ron Paul, Paul running for president uh, going back, I think it was in 2008 and he was in the primaries. You know, I, I was a very big Ron Paul supporter mm-hmm. as a libertarian and uh, very smart guy. I mean, he, he he knew where everything stood, but nobody cared because, you know, he wasn't a he wasn't in the cartoon world. He wasn't a cartoon character like Trump is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. what Trump is. He's a cartoon character. And people love it. They eat it up. So I'm like, okay, you know what? All right. We'll just have to go with it. We'll have to see what happens after November 8th. I mean, there's no telling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe the New Guard, I I almost get the sense that they're, you know, maybe that we need to step back to nationalism now that we have, now that we're all connected through, you know, through the internet and electricity and electronics. I mean, maybe we, we don't need open borders so much anymore if it's all connected the bank soon enough the banking will be all electronic you know you won't even need cash i mean it's going to be they're going to have their control mechanism anyway so why not give us the borders or whatever yeah yeah i mean so what you're absolutely right i mean so what does it mean to continue down this path when we can do it in other ways and these other ways will be perceived as uninvasive um good um, you know, doesn't, uh, it's not infringing on me personally. So I, I think that that's a very good point. Um, because this whole thing with the, with the immigration here in the United States coming from Mexico and then the, uh, the Middle East situation where they have the refugees going into Europe. Um, that's, that's a long time, um, globalist plan to water down the um, the nationalism, the, the sense of self that a nation state would have to water down the, the heritage and uh, the culture of being an Italian, of being a German, of being a Frenchman, mm-hmm. being a, 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 you know, a Brit, and so on. And um, they want to homogenize the culture. They want to homogenize the thinking and the values of the people because a, a homogenized thinking person is easier to control. And, you know, that's why... You know, they had the open borders and they were pushing for the open borders. Um, everybody was told that, you know, it was good to be uh, a, a multiculturalist. It, it was good to be uh, have a lot of empathy and compassion and love for these people. You know, the United States was was created based upon immigration and all this stuff. But that's just all the stuff that these manipulators and these deceivers. This is all social engineering. These are words that they want people to say. And it's all conditioning. That is not what they're doing. What they're doing is, is they're watering down your culture and they're watering down your, your nation state so that they it makes it easy for them to control you. Yeah. 
you know, but they never say that part. That part is not even in the fine print. <laughs> that part you have to figure out on your own. I guess the one way they could really get rid of the borders is uh, bring in the the false flag of the UFO invasion or the blue beam style thing. Do you guys ever get into that on the show? I haven't had anybody talk about that yet. We, we might have mentioned it uh, here or there yeah, uh, yeah. on some shows. But uh, yeah, I mean, well, Werner von Braun talked about that on his deathbed. Yeah, exactly. Right? right, right. So that they would bring this in as basically their, their ace up their sleeve. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know about that. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think the way the culture is today with everybody staring at their phones and there's so much apathy, I, I think you can show them whatever you want in the sky and people would just look at it and go, they would take a picture of it. And that's it. And then, they would, <laughs> then they would upload it to Facebook, you know? <laughs> so I don't know where that's going to go, but, uh, you know, I, I think they've, they've tried it out. I don't know if you guys, did you see the, um, what they did in China? I guess it was going back about a year and a half ago where they had that city in the sky. Oh yeah. 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 Right. And they were saying, oh, it was a mirage. I'm like, a mirage? A mirage of what? doesn't look like anything that's down below, you know? So Yeah, uh, that did look pretty crazy. And then there was, it was, the, crazy. There was a couple other things, uh, like the Norway spiral, and there's a couple other things that you wonder about. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating times. Yeah, it is. Wow, crazy so, times. <laughs> So this so, was a good Paul is Dead show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I really wanted to talk to you about some other stuff too because it's uh, we've had some uh, we've had some other alternative uh, media on the show lately, and it's great to you know I always end up following following you guys later, you know, and when, when uh, it's just uh, good to talk to other people that are doing their own their own media and talking about current events without uh, all the propaganda of the mainstream. And do do you have advertising at all on your show? No, yeah. no. The only thing I have, uh, the only way I make any kind of money, and it's not a lot, trust me, is uh, I'm a musician and I and I had an album I released back in uh, February of 2013. I'm working on my second album now. Um, and when I tack my songs on to the end of uh, my shows, I pick up uh, a couple of cents each nice. show. Leaving, yeah, dysto it, Leaving Dystopia, it was called, eh? Yeah, yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. What kind of <laughs> music you. is it? It's rock and yep. uh, it's very Bill Shepard oriented. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's very Beatles oriented. So, uh, yeah. Oh, can I yeah, use that's the only way. I don't have any advertising. I, I try to stay away from that. Can I use that on the show? My show is more of a hobby than anything else. Can I use it on the show? The music? What's that? Can I use your music on this episode? Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, we'll throw it yeah. in uh, the bumper music that we put in there. Uh, so, great, um, thank you. Yeah, do you, so you get donations from people at all or anything like that? You try, no, you try that? nobody sends me any money route? either. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. making me feel bad. <laughs> no, nobody sends me any money. Um, uh, I have a donation button on my Sage Quay Facebook page. Yeah. I, yeah. I stuck it up there, but yeah. Uh, yeah. nobody's ever pressed it or clicked it. Yeah, well, it looks like you got a lot of good videos and stuff on your on your channel as well there. Um yeah, I, I try to put quality stuff up. I, yeah. I really do. I spend a lot of time, Graham, um, editing the shows and stuff like that. And I really want to put a good product out there so that, uh, you know, people get a good show and they get a good listen and hopefully they learn something. And uh, my guests are spectacular. They really are. I love every one of them. Um, and like I always tell folks when they ask me about the shows, they say, well, I learn from my guests. I, yep. I never go onto those shows thinking that I know more than them. Yep. I, I that's a mistake, right? So uh, 
they're good people and they're, you know, they're very hardworking people. And um, sometimes, you know, their work is so good that um, the powers that be like to malign them in some way, but uh, they hang tough. Yeah, man, we know what you mean. Yeah, we, we, we learn a lot from our guests too. We try to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll link to your, um, all that stuff in our show notes as well. And we'll send you, we'll send you a copy when we're done there. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Oh, what's going on there, Danny? Oh, we got to take his phone away from him. My phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on, Mike. Really appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Yeah, Anytime. And, yeah, we'll keep in touch and uh, yeah, have a good night and, and enjoy uh, enjoy the uh, next uh, America's Next Top President. You think, uh, I wonder if you think any of them will come clean on their deathbed? Yeah, who? Paul. Oh, Paul. Oh, uh, Bill Shepard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 Bill said he's going to come clean. He said there's more to come. I think he's already come clean. So he says that uh, the re- one of the reasons why he said he wrote the book was because he's he's very old now. He's pushing eighty years old. And wow, what? Yeah, he's five years older than uh, biological Paul. <laughs> Even Paul so, being seventy five seems old to me. Yeah, yeah. So Shepard's eighty years old, and and in the book he states that look, I don't have a lot of runway left. So, um, <laughs> you know, and. Everybody thinks Paul McCartney wrote these songs. Nobody knows who the hell Bill Shepard is. So, yeah, yeah. Hello. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's going to feel a bit weird. Yeah, right, exactly. So, he's just going to come out press conference. All right, you motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. I'm Bill Shepard. <laughs> and nobody will believe him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. He's a Russian. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right on, Mike. Well, thanks for coming on the show. All right, guys. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, Thanks. It was a great conversation. Okay. All right, buddy. Take care. Right. Ciao. Bye-bye now. Bye. That was our chat with Mike Williams and Mark Allard. Yeah. Oh, Mark was tuned in. Oh, wasn't he, eh? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's too bad he ran out of time. We should hire him for more shows. We should hire him on <laughs> as an intern. Send in your donations so we can get people to help us out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On point. Yeah, Mark's pretty, uh, yeah, he's pretty switched on. He's pretty intense. He's got a pretty... Uh, Pretty uh, disciplined practicer. That's a tough one for me. Yeah. What the whole Paul McCartney thing or what? Yeah. Oh, you saw you were looking at the pictures yeah, online. I'm, look, I'm looking at the pictures right now. And what, you, you think that's the same dude? Maybe. I think he just got into acid. Got into acid? You think that's what it is? And he shrunk? Or he grew? I don't know. He got all dopey looking. Oh my but god. But who knows? I guess we'll find out soon enough. Yeah. Really the real Paul McCartney will come out. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's something to the whole music industry conspiracy and all that. And I mean, it's a control mechanism. Yeah, there definitely could be something to do that. Yeah. We'll never know. We'll never know the shit that deep. And then I'm thinking, what happened in the 80s with all the one-hit wonders? Like, what were they? Were they doing an experiment in the 80s? Just... Ice Ice Baby. That's funny. I seen a picture on Facebook just like earlier today where it was like uh, a Halloween costume. And it was like the two parents were dressed up as bags of ice. And then the one was holding the baby on the side. (laughs) Ice Ice Baby. (laughs) No? You don't get it? Yeah, I get it. I don't know. Anyway, he had to like if he could get it, actually. You would have just scrolled right past it. Probably. Anyway.
Anyways, good chatting with another another fellow that um, talks about all the stuff we talk about. I, I think he probably gets a little deeper into the conspiracies that you know we've talked about getting into. We brush on that we brush on. Yeah, that Maybe was a fun one. It'd be nice to talk, actually talk to this you Harriet. Yeah, find out the scoop. That's all just bullshit. We should let's just get McCartney on. Sure. Yeah, get Billy Shears on himself. Yeah. yeah. Maybe if we email the Paul McCartney, maybe if I tweet him, hey, Billy. <laughs> Come on the show. You think he's on Twitter? Yeah. yeah I can't turn on my it. phone. As soon as I turn on my phone, it starts making noise. Really? Yeah. What's going on over I don't there? know. Something's playing in the background. Huh. It reminds me of a fictional book, a fiction based on f- sort of fact book that I read in the 90s, <clears throat> late 90s, I think, early 2000s, and it was called Project Saucer, and I've been trying to get a hold of the author. I tried it a couple of years ago. I should try again, but fucking fascinating books. Get on that, Jim. Yeah. Well, it was all about the Nazis in uh, in uh, Antarctica and the, like man-made saucers and oh, just Antarctica fascinating. Antarctica that way, bro. I was pointing up north. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Um, support the show. America.ca slash support. Um, help us do. not be a shill. Yeah, please and do. And hire uh, Mark on as an intern. Yeah. Yeah, and man. Spam Gotta Graham. pay the bills in the igloo. Spam Graham. I had to up the fucking Libsyn last month, too, because of that. Maurice Cotterell episode. Oh yeah, it was like two hundred megabytes. Libsyn's our provider that uh, that that basically disperses the podcast for us. So yeah, we have to pay like sometimes fifty, forty, fifty US a month uh, yeah. just for that. Yeah, Libsyn gets pricey, and then there's all the other stuff. But it's worth the it. Peel box and they do a great job. Yeah, they do. Yeah, uh, Libsyn's great. Imagine if we were just trying to just be a fucking train. Oh, imagine <laughs> if we didn't have them. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, check out grabamerica.ca slash support. There's a ton of different ways to help out the show there. Show notes. It's all in the show notes. That's right. Check out the show notes. Graham works hard on the show notes. Uh, yeah, spam Graham. Tell them your stories. Tell them your, your synchros. All that fun stuff. Sign up for the newsletter. Tell your friends about the show. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week.
I'm a rambling gram with synchronicities all over the web. And Aaron is skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet. <laughs>